Bibles. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Hear the word of God. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to go, be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to a place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after them, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the word of God for the people of God. And you may be seated. So this is a story that we probably know very well. So popular that there are hospitals named after this particular passage in the Bible. There's a phrase that is named after this particular passage in the Bible. Have you ever been called a good Samaritan before? Does anybody even know where Samaria is? Where Samaritans are from? It's in the Middle East. It's, it's near Jerusalem, but it's, um, I believe, north of Jerusalem, if I'm not mistaken. And it's in an area that used to be part of the promised land. And God had enough of the rebellion that the Israelites had done when there was a civil war and their capital of their nation, when they had a civil war, their capital was Samaria. But he destroyed it, sent them all into the world, into exile, and the Assyrians moved in and then all kinds of people moved in. It basically became a melting pot of a city. And for the Jews living in Jerusalem, they hated, and I mean hated, Samaritans. It'd be almost like the rivalry between Belair and Martins Ferry. If I were to say to all of you, next week we're meeting at a church in Martins Ferry, it would probably be empty. Well, it would be people from Martins Ferry there, but probably none of you, right? Who wants to go to Martins Ferry? No matter where you go, there's small towns that have rivalries like that. My hometown, Ashtabula, we had a rival like that. So when I came down here, I fit right in. And I've actually lived in the Martins Ferry School District and then also preached here in Blair. So I got the best of both worlds. But I don't take sides. But anyway, that, that aside, 
This particular passage in the Bible, I often will shy away from preaching on it because it is so often used to harm people. Have you ever heard the term church hurt? When you get run out of a church, you get felt made to feel like you don't belong in a church or you're not good enough and you, you go somewhere else or you just don't go at all. It's a real thing. People suffer from church hurt. And a lot of times, whether it's in Tended or not, this particular parable leads to that a lot. Because if I were to say to you, this is how the sermon is typically preached. And I'm only going to take a couple minutes, not the entire time. Typically, okay, priests and Levites. First of all, what's the difference? Priest is the one who would go behind the curtain and make an offering once a year to um, the Lord. And they were also the ones that actually did the sacrifice at the altar. The Levites did everything else in the temple. They took care, they washed the animals, got them ready for the sacrifice. They did the intake of the animals. They took care of all the utensils that were used. They cleaned everything. They replaced the showbread every day. They were kind of like the helpers, but the priests were the ones who did the actual sacrifice. Now, there's a lot of symbolism in that, and we could go into that some other time. But basically, for the priests and Levites, they were told, you do not touch anything that's bleeding or anything that's dead, or you cannot offer sacrifices or work in the temple until you're cleansed. So knowing that, they come down the road and they see this man lying on the side of the road and they're like, I can't work if I touch him and help him. I'm just going to go over here. Okay, this was a man, this man wasn't a Samaritan lying on the road. He had gone from Jerusalem down to Jericho. He was probably a Jew, and they probably recognized it. In fact, I imagine one of the priests said, I saw him last week in temple. Oh, I hope he gets better. I'm just going to keep on going, because I'm not touching that. Okay, and that's true. That's, that's basically it's one of the things that Jesus was trying to convey to this teacher of the law, most likely a priest or a Levite. But then he uses the word Samaritan. A Samaritan comes by, and that man, that teacher of the law, is probably like, I don't want to have anything to do with a Samaritan. They're filthy, they're dirty, they're ugly. They're from Martin's Ferry. No offense to anybody from Martin's Ferry. <laughs> okay, so I could, I could easily put it in Barnesville and Union Local there too. But anyway, he didn't want to have anything to do with them because... He's a Samaritan. Why, are you, why couldn't you say a Jew came by and, and saw this? Why a Samaritan? Well, Jesus was trying to prove a point that it's not about the law. It's not about ceremonially clean and unclean. Okay? And as the, the sermons typically go, it goes on to the, at the end, Jesus says, go and do likewise. And that's the part that really causes a lot of church hurt. We tell people, you got to, you see somebody on the side of the road, man, you got to help them. The Bible tells us you got to help them. If he's got a sign up that says anything helps, you got to give him something. And people are like, yeah, well, I didn't do that. And I really didn't know if I should. And, you know, I was running late. If I'd have had more time, I might have stopped to help him. Okay, maybe it's somebody with a flat tire. Well, they look like they know what they're doing. I'm just going to keep passing by. And we, Preachers will tell people they got to do these things, and people are like, I didn't do it, now I feel bad, now I feel guilty, now God hates me. No. 
That's not what you're going to hear today. Jesus knew what he was doing when he said this. What do you read in the scripture? And this man answered correctly. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Those two particular passages, Jesus told us the entire law and prophets are summed up in those two things. Love God, love people. Love God, love people. The key word is love. Okay. But the man wanted to justify himself, and that's when he asked, who's my neighbor? And that's where we get this parable. But what is Jesus trying to teach us in this? How can we get closer to God with what Jesus is saying? And how do we reconcile this whole thing with the law? You know, we know the law is important. And a lot of people, a lot of Christians, a lot of preachers will tell you, Jesus fulfilled the law. It's in Matthew chapter 5. Okay. I was coming into Belair today. I didn't go over 55 miles an hour. I fulfilled the law. I'm going to call the state of Ohio and say, Ohio, on Route 7 between Bridgeport and Belair, I drove 55 miles an hour. I fulfilled the law. Take the signs down. It's no longer needed. You know what they're going to say? Click. Oh, I'm sorry. You can't say click anymore, right? That's an old term. Shows how old I am. Push the red button. That's what we do. Push the red button. But anyway, that's ridiculous, isn't it? That when you fulfill a law, you get rid of it? Jesus, when he fulfilled the law, and one of the reasons he said this is to teach us, I didn't get rid of the law. In fact, he said, don't think that I came to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. Not, and then he goes on to say, not one stroke of the pen in this law shall disappear. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my law will never disappear. The law is important. We don't understand it. We don't, we're not Jews. We, you know, there's all kinds of arguments about it. But what he's trying to say is it's important. But then he says, what is in the law? How do you read it? Love God and love people. Okay? That's the part he wants us to understand. To love God with all our heart and all our being. Put him first in absolutely everything and to love everyone else. How? Well, I could stand up here and tell you that you got to stop when you see somebody with a flat tire, especially if it's me. Chad McLeish actually did that one time. I had a flat tire and I turned my head and there he is and just like magically appeared there. Thank you again for that, Chad. But anyway, um, you know, that's not what you're going to hear. Because, yes, if you can help, help. But I also understand that in this day and age, there are people who will put things on the side of the road, look like a damsel in distress, or look like they just need help, and when you stop, you get mugged. I know because it almost happened to me. When I was living in Columbus, there were cement blocks in the road on this exit ramp, and I stopped, and I looked, and I didn't see anybody around. I thought, I, if I hit them, I'm going to hurt my car. Well, the thing was, a lot of people didn't see them. I was in a truck. I was a little bit higher up. I, I was able to see it, and it was dark. People would hit those cement blocks, and then somebody, when they stopped, somebody would come and mug them or take their car if they could. It was a very big thing back in the... Um, early 90s in Columbus. 
What I did was I stopped, I backed up, and I went a different way and took another way home. Was God leading me? Probably. But anyway, so I know that we have to be careful. Where, does it, where do you draw the line? What about that guy that says anything will help? Do I give him money, or is he going to use it to, sell, to buy drugs? I don't know, but I'm telling you this. If God is telling you to give that man some money, then give him some money. If God's telling you, just keep going, then just keep going. If God's not telling you anything, then ask him, what do I do in this situation, God? It's, there's no clear-cut answer. What I'm getting at is, we got to be in commu- close communication with God in all aspects of our lives. The answer may not be to just always give. The may- answer may be give or may be don't give. And for some people, it may be always give or never give. It's always dependent upon the person and God and their relationship and what God is speaking to you in that moment. And I know a lot of us are going to say, I have trouble hearing from God. We'll get into that. We talked a little bit about that a few months ago. We'll get into it again. But for today, I want you to focus on being rather than doing. Being first, then do. But what I mean by that is in your being, in your relationship with God, that is first and foremost the most important thing. That's why it is the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. We got to look at God as a friend, not just someone who's there when I need him, take him off the shelf, here's what I got going on, God, put him back on the shelf, go about your day. You can do that. It's not going to work real well for you. God needs to be someone who, when you're hurting, you go to, but when you're happy, you go to, when you just wake up in the morning, you go to, when you're getting ready to go to bed at night, you go to. When you're watching television in the middle of the day, you go to. When you think about it, you go to. Every time you think about him, talk to him. Because if you're thinking about him, he's probably putting himself on your mind so that you'll talk to him. Okay? Because when we do, then we're going to know what to do in a situation where we see someone on the side of the road. Jesus never said that that priest and that Levite were wrong. He never said that. He said they just weren't more like the neighbor. He never said they were wrong. Now, he may have thought they were wrong. I don't know. But he didn't say that they were wrong. They had their reasons. Now, did they have a close relationship with God? I don't know. But when we do, and we come across someone who's on the road bleeding, well, I hope if someone's bleeding, you would stop and help them. But if they have a flat tire or they're asking for money, a little less benign situation, I would hope that you would ask God, what do I do? Because we want to get to the point where it's not even I have to stop and think I got to ask God. It's just, okay, God, what is it? You know, you know, you're, you're quick on your feet thinking, because you're so close to him that you are now speaking and hearing and knowing what he said. We can all get there. We may not be there yet. Some of us may be further than others, but we can all get there. And that should be what we desire, to get to that point where we're just being a friend of God, being close to God, and then 
what follows is we will know what to do as a result. We will know because it becomes second nature. Do you tell yourself to breathe? Do you tell your heart to beat? Do you tell your eyes to blink? No. That just happens. And you might say, oh, well, that's just an autonomic thing. Okay. Do you tell yourself to walk across the floor? No, I don't think people, I've never seen anybody crawl out of here. Everybody always walked out. Or, you know, if you were on crutches or in a wheelchair, that's different. But I never saw anybody crawl on their hands and knees to get out of here. They consciously walked across the floor to the doors. We know where they are because they know that's what to do. It's part of your being. You become, it comes, becomes second nature. And I know somebody's probably going to crawl out of here today. I'm going to laugh. But <laughs> no, please don't do that. But what I'm saying is, it's not an auto thing. It's just part of who you are. And when you get closer to God, when you are in such tight relationship with him, you will do things without stopping to think, should I do this? You're just going to do it. And I tell you right now, we all do. We all do. We all treat each other with respect. We all smile, smile at one another. Even if we ha- are having a terrible day, we might let loose a little bit and maybe a little anger out, but we still are, for the most part, very respectful to one another when we're here. Do you have to stop and think about that, or is that just who you are? It's who you are. It's because it's who God is making you to be. Okay? So this parable is not so much about instructions for how to live when you see someone bloody on the side of the road. It's more a allegorical look at how God can make you be who you should be, who he wants you to be, by having a closer relationship with him. And then you can go do, and it will be like, Walking across the floor, one foot in front of the other. I don't walk and say, okay, right foot, left foot. See, I already got it wrong. (laughs) Thank goodness I don't do it that way. I'd be walking backwards. (laughs) But we don't do that. It's just, it's second nature, okay? And that's what a relationship with God brings to us. It becomes second nature. And here's the thing. When you start to do that, people take notice. They will tell you. Something's different about you. They may not know what it is, but has anybody ever come up to you and say, something's just different about you? And maybe inside you're like, man, I'm getting closer to God. I'm excited. And you may say that, you may not, but you know what it is. And they're recognizing it. They're seeing it. Did you do anything differently? Probably not. It's God changing you from the inside. He's pouring you into that mold and making you more like his son. And it's an incredible, freeing experience. I told a bunch of people yesterday, they didn't know what freedom was. You don't know what freedom is until you experience it. When the Israelites came out of Egypt, they said, we don't have food, we don't have water, let's go back. They had freedom. They were slaves, and now they're not slaves. And God supernaturally made it happen with 10 different occurrences, and they want to go back because they didn't know what freedom really is. And we may think we're free, 
But until God sets us free and until we experience that freedom, we don't really know what it is. We just kind of live who we are. We think we're okay. But I'm telling you all, and myself included, there is more that God can do in all of our lives. And he wants to do in all of our lives. And it starts with loving him and then loving everyone else. But it starts with loving him and then the loving everyone else will come as a result of loving him. You see, God doesn't make us do things on our own. This is, we're going to talk a lot more about this next week. He doesn't make us do things on our own to get to him. He says, come to me, I change you, and now you do things because he's changed you. Not because of what we do, but because of what he does. So, be before you do. Be closer to God. And how do we do that? Prayer, reading the Bible, and worship, praise, fellowship. I'll leave you with this. I talked to a guy Thursday night, and I'm not going to say his name, and I don't, he's probably not watching, but anyway, he said, well, I read the Bible, and I feel bad because I read it, and then I, I, I think I understand it, and five minutes later, I don't remember it. Sure. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again, and I'll say it again and again. I don't know what I had for dinner Thursday night. But let me tell you, when I was in, was in uh, Ocean City last summer and I ate at this Mexican restaurant, I can tell you all about that. Okay? So when we read the Bible, we, we get these favorite verses. And, oh boy, I'm never going to forget that one because that really made a difference in my life. But if I read the Bible this morning, like, what did I read? I may not remember, and that's okay, because I fed myself. We don't remember every single meal we eat. We remember the good ones, but we don't remember every one of them. And when you read the Bible, you may not remember it all right away, but you're feeding your spirit, and someday it may come forth out of your spirit, or you may read it again, and after the sixth or seventh time, now I get it. Now I just got thousand other pages to go through before I get it, you'll get it, okay? So don't beat yourself up if you read the Bible, and don't say, I can't read the Bible because I don't understand it. That doesn't work. When you read the Bible, you are working on your relationship with God, because he's going to speak to you through that Bible. He's going to speak to you throughout your life, throughout your day, when you are taking time to know about him. When you're praying, he's going to speak to you. When you're not praying, he's speaking to you. And I know a lot of people struggle with that, but we will. I promise you, we will talk about that soon. But just for now, just know that when you're working on your relationship with God, that is what enables you to be and do what God wants. It's nothing we have to do on our own. We don't have to force it. We don't have to make a list and say, here's what I got to do. We simply go to God. We love the Lord. And then we love people as a result. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your message today. Thank you for teaching us to love you, to know you, to come to you, to look to you. Lord, help us in our doubts. Help us in our unbelief. Help us in our fears. Help us 
in our mistrust. Help us to remove all these things so that we may know you more and know you better and know you stronger. Prepare us for what's coming, Lord, so we can be a part of your kingdom that goes into this world and helps others learn what we have learned. Continue to teach and guide us each and every day these next few weeks and even beyond. Help us to be closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.